0: Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back
1: with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 139. 139. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we are approximately a week and a half out from... Uh, 11 days. ...freezing our toes
0: and fingers and butt cheeks off. 42 degrees today. It's 42 degrees. The 10-day forecast has it uh, next Wednesday. Ooh, ooh, look at this. We have a glimmer of hope. Next Monday's a high 68. Okay, we <laughs> need... So maybe... Uh, We're gonna be fine. Maybe it'll... Uh, it'll you guys are uh, gonna be fine. Uh Maybe it'll warm on up for us next week. That'd be nice. A little global warming, climate change. Maybe the Center for Diversity of Genders or whatever it was will go out there and uh, get, get get something you know a little warmer. Uh, Josh, it's nice that I'm still in the co-host seat. It's permanent friend zone. Um, let's go ahead and get into <laughs> – so we have a oh, review man. here um, from Awesome Adri. Adri. Hi, guys. I've been listening to your – uh, to you for about a year now and have found your podcast extremely informative. It's helped me better understand the oil and gas industry and your banter is hilarious. It's definitely never a boring morning when I'm listening to your episode. Even when Ron nails it on politics, Josh is being singled out by others and Nate being Nate. Keep up the fantastic work. mean? Well... I mean they've got they said I nailed it on politics so what else do you want from them but it but it was extremely difficult to keep from posting prior to the polar plunge deadline so don't blame me even if you, uh, even if I do think it's a fair and hilarious for all three of you to do the plunge you're fantastic trio so don't change a thing it's good to see my political rants getting their proper due um in due time so it's uh it took a took a very astute reviewer and the fact that you guys aren't going to correct me is going to let me keep on rambling. Oh, so I'm you, mean, gonna- <laughs> you mean the part where he says, even when Ryan loses it
2: over politics?
0: It, I'm, I'm translating. I was translating on the fly there. Kind of, uh, kind of you know, read between the lines. See, uh, Ryan is against censorship viewers, but that's because he wants to do it all himself. I'm against your censorship. <laughs> 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 uh, we need to follow up with our sales tip, Josh, from... An operational engineer at a large EMP cap a large cap EMP company. So here's one of the tips, and you can find this at com slash sales tips. Don't start with a list of all your all our competitors that use your good and service, goods and services. You think this is helpful or impressive, it in reality it's tacky. Everyone is competitive, and this makes people want to try your thing less. Moreover, it tells me you're going to use my company name when you're selling to someone else, I'd rather really not work with someone who is going to blab about our company, our competitive advantages to anyone who takes a meeting. So those were there, a handful more to get through the next few weeks, but there it is. So, review, five star review. We are looking for our sympathy reviews now, I believe, since we're going in the lake a week from Friday, two thirty central time. So if you're in Grandbury, let us know. Otherwise we will go in, um with some GoPros or something and Publish the results. Publish the results. So. I think we
1: should also get a drone up in the air following yep. us in.
0: Get the drone, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see how well, cool it is. I'll
1: sit back with the drone and I'll like <laughs> video y'all. You y'all. don't need to, Josh. Mm. I will set it to follow us <laughs> automatically. Oh, okay. Well, I think last week we had uh, a review that came in with uh, a potential petroleum engineer, a uh, college student, oh, yeah. and uh, we just scow. There we go. So we we mentioned we were going to follow up with that this week. Um so petroleum engineer. I think they've been they've been growing every year for the last few years. Um I wonder Ryan, if uh if that's going to require potentially uh an openness to to travel a good bit. Um I mean depending on where the work's at, right? Uh the the Permian obviously is doing really well right now. But what should be good in five years as well. I mean, the the petroleum engineer seems like a, a promising thing to do, but there have been some talks that uh, the numbers are – or the demand is not growing as quickly, so the rate of change is decreasing. So they continue to increase, but the rate of change for those jobs are decreasing. What do you think, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, in short I would say if you're an engineer who's super technical um, and you want to, you know – Really focus on the engineering aspects of the job. Any type of engineering, you know, you can catch yourself in, in a little bit of a, of a catch. So, you know, if you like, you know, building roads, there's not a lot of road projects going on, you might find yourself at a catch at some point. Same thing here. So if you really want to focus on the, the true essence of engineering, then, you know, you're, no matter where you're at, you could find yourself in a little bit of a, a squeeze or, as you said, be caught having to move across the country or across the world if you're more of an engineer who wants to do some engineering but wants to manage projects and people you'd find yourself potentially open to a lot more things the only thing i would say is finally is consider diversifying um to not just upstream but look at midstream look at downstream you know what engineering traits can you take that would kind of apply to all three phases of the game if you will so that you know if upstream is slow and you want to go to somewhere else that you do can you can kind of figure out what your natural um uh, Crossover or point into the other maybe mystery and more downstream
1: all right kicking off uh kicking off the stories we have there was a uh, article we have from oil and gas three sixty Ekinor faces additional lawsuits over Eagleford shale royalty fraud so this is one of the things that's been, been given a bit in a bad taste in some of the investors uh, mouth is uh this company has some investors that were over here in the States. Um, I believe several of them were in Harris County. And the company, the production company, was underreporting um, profits so that the shareholders were not getting um, the money that they should have been. And so there's a lawsuit being filed for that. And you know, I just wonder in some of this how – this is what we don't need right now is a, a a further onslaught on the integrity or the reliability of this industry and for the investments to come in from different folks. So uh, I, I don't know I don't know how widespread something like this is, but it certainly represents a a, a waning trust in or confidence in investments on this on this specific side of the industry.
0: Well, you know, we got to be fair, though, Josh. It doesn't mean that it's true. That's true. It's just, That's true. It's just, Agreed. It's just an accusation. Um, first off, um, it is, I guess they call it Ecuador now, but that is Statol for folks who have been around and uh, kind of hear that name. That's the old Statol. You know, yeah, I, I looked at this, and I'm like, okay. And this would be one of those things where, um, depending on what all they're doing here, because it says that the, this is a quote from, the lawyer representing landowners. These, this is a quote. These transactions, combined with runaway cost deductions, cost runaway, uh, royalty owners to be left holding the short stick by a company they trusted would pay them what they were rightfully owed. Now, depending on what's going on, when he talks about the cost deductions, there um, they could be doing some 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 tricky accounting things that aren't necessarily illegal, um, and would result in lower payments, or they could be cooking the books and. You know, actually, um, you know, screwing the landowners, or it could just be that there's not a lot of money to be made. You know, there's there's a lot there's a lot here, but you're right. Uh, to your point is that we hope that it's a deal where that there's just no money to be made because, as bad as that is for the royalty owners, that's better for the image because of the industry. Because you go, okay, well, they are mad because there was no money, but there was just no money. So yeah. that's that.
1: But well, you know, sometimes royalty owners and lawyers don't understand some of the things that uh, you know just. Crew quality that that could have affected the amount of money they were making, and it could have appeared. You know, I I don't want to go into it, but there's it could have been legitimate, some legitimate uh, cost deductions for sure. Uh, But it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and how the how the case goes. Yeah,
0: and I would say for um, I'm I'm curious something like this for some of our lawyer friends that do listen to the show. Is this something that you would see? To be settled out of court, or would the the company want to go through court? Because my understanding on civil matters is when you get into what is it the the deposition phase, I believe it is. Um, the latitude to go into research and to dig up uh, the information on on the on, on the parties is pretty pretty wide swath. And so uh, I wonder on something like that if Stattle or whatever they're in Ecuador, whoever they can call them now, if they would want to avoid being deposed to, to you know, keep their business interests protected or not. So if you have a lawyer friend who listens or, you know, maybe Rob, something like that, I'd be curious their comments on, on that because um, a couple of things I think you're right. The accounting is going to be important. Of course, this is a publicly traded company, so uh, a lot of their accounting uh, metrics are going to be out there where you can go look at their quarterly and annual reports. But the other thing would be is going through the deposition process. Um, I wonder how much exposure they would want to that.
1: Uh, next article we have is by uh, Joseph Tripke, um, founder and principal of reservoir or research analyst um, at AlphaSense. Now, this article is about the recycling of produced water. Uh, so for quite some time we've been using saltwater disposal wells, and uh, the gist of the article is that this is going to be uh, overwhelmed uh, with all of the production. And I know we've we've talked a lot about water in the past. And it's just going to be, I think it's going to be the thing that needs to be addressed over the next couple of years. I know there's been some issues with saltwater disposal wells. I know there's a a story we covered briefly about uh, uh, in Oklahoma where the uh, SWDs were, there there was a leak somewhere and it was just a tremendous amount of water. So uh, SWDs, I don't think are going to, I mean, they're still doing well, but At some point, we're going to have to figure out how to recycle this water and reuse it. Um, And the gist of this article is that's going to be a promising endeavor, I believe, if we can get it figured out in in the Permian this year.
0: Yeah, and for perspective, Joseph came on the Texan Guest podcast a while back, I believe. Looking up here, it was episode 107. So June 4th of last year, he came on. So if you want to curious his thoughts there. Nate can link to that show note. You know, the, the, the water deal is interesting because as you sit back and you look at it, you go, there's a problem. And, and I, I'm wondering, we had a lunch with some of these guys last week, uh, I guess it was, talking about the water issue. And you just sit around and you hear there's a lot of interesting things, a lot, a lot of um, ideas and solutions, but water is not typically the sexy business to be in. And so I wonder while there's a lot of uh, things that need to happen, and it is kind of the buzzword now, I wonder at what point do you kind of overcome that curve? And then it's like, okay, well, you know, what, we, we took care of these two things, and now we've, we've figured this out. Cause you, you start running through some of the potential problems um, that the industry faces and how it handles the water issues. There's a lot of money being poured into it. and God, you would you would think that we could figure out water of all things. Like that would <laughs> like we got flaring, we got oil spills, we got, you know, parent child whale fracks. We got all these things. It seems like water should be the one that we could go, you know what, we we've got that one taken care of. Yeah. It would be something cool for the industry
1: though, if uh, if oil and gas and energy would be the you know, the impetus for figuring out how to, you know, master the the salt water issue and create fresh water. So that would be that would be very cool.
0: Yeah, and this goes back to, I guess it was at that meeting we are talking about, you know, part of the issue with some of this stuff is our infrastructure for electricity, power, roads, all that stuff was built, you know, before me and you and Nate were born, you know, on some level, by the time, if you combine our, uh, like mine and your ages, you know, that's kind of when a lot of this stuff was being put in place. So that's how old it was. That's how old those ideas are. And, and those ideas were good, and they, they did a lot of good for us, but as we move today, we're facing some of the problems we have today are we're trying to solve a problem based upon the type of infrastructure we have. Whereas if we had very little infrastructure, we'd probably be able to tackle these issues differently because we'd go, oh, okay, well, you know, we have all this water. What do we want to do with it? We'd say, you know, we, we would look at it from a, a perspective of, well, we got to build out a lot of things. We got, we're a developing nation. You know, we might handle it differently. Not saying that would be the right way or the wrong way, um, but we are looking through it. Through a lens that's trying to, you know, put the the proverbial was it square peg in the round hole almost because we're trying to solve a problem based upon the way things are, and the way things are is good and they've brought us a lot of prosperity and they've done a lot of good things. But sometimes stuff like this, it's and water would be a good example here. Water is not sexy enough to revamp how we do things, so we're trying to fi- figure the water issue through the current infrastructure setup. Um, Whereas if you look at oil and gas, oil and gas is sexy enough to kind of revamp things. You know, cities are built for oil and gas. Hotels are built. You know, mass millions and billions and billions of dollars that goes into stuff when oil and gas comes to town. Water is just hey, while well, it's a very viable industry right now, it just doesn't have that same pool, So it feels like we're, we're trying to do the you know square, square peg round hole or whatever you say that saying.
1: Yeah. So uh, just a, a comment: um, private equity dollars are flooding into the space, backing management teams and assets. Attempting to solve this colossal problem. Case in point is Goodnight Midstream's 1.2 billion dollar recapitalization. And he goes on to say, looking ahead, he expects that um, the expanding universe large, sophisticated, fast-growing, privately held oil, fuel, water management companies now active in the space we expect to see some oil, fuel, water IPO action over the next couple of years. So definitely something to keep an eye out for. That would be that would be interesting to uh, to see an IPO come out. You know, in the next year or two, to than for a company to really begin begin to attack this water problem as a, a much bigger entity.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I wonder. I just wonder, Josh, how long it's going to going to last? I just, and I don't want to be right or wrong on this one or another. I just, I just. It feels like it's a market. The water space is a market that um, we're gonna wake up one day and go, okay, well, that was. That it had its run, but maybe not. Maybe it'll keep on going um, for for quite some time. It's not. I'm not saying that the water obviously is going away. It's just can we figure out the solution to the water? And um, you start you, the more money that goes into solving the problems, the quicker the problems will get solved theoretically. So at some point you feel like that 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 uh, that, that over the hump that turn is going to happen. And the final comment I'll make is is if you start seeing smaller companies go away. And it's a focus of the bigger companies, Chevron, Exxon, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, they, you know, uh, Exxon and Chevron especially would have a v- potentially very uh, more viable ways to solve these problems than, you know, Ryan and Josh E and P. And so, obviously, they would make up a lot of the water problem. But the, you, you can start seeing where the bigger companies could solve the problems through um, different, different ways than someone mm-hmm. who doesn't have all infrastructure or, or can't build out all the infrastructure needed.
1: So article came out, this is another one from Oil and Gas three sixty. Peak Permian oil output is closer than you think
0: investor says. speaker this has got to be speaker Hey, it might be. So I mean we don't know Speaker's real name, so we don't know, but we're we're gonna blame all doom and gloom on Speaker just to be safe. Bet you it's Speaker.
1: Uh there, there the gist of the article is this guy says we think we are at or near peak Permian production. Water said last week in an interview the North American oil market has been grossly overcapitalized, which is not sustainable. Predicting peak Permian output for 2020 isn't a mainstream view. So, Ryan, the people that we meet with on a week-to-week basis spend a lot of money and uh, invest you know, quite a bit of resources into uh, production plans for the next five to 10 years. Uh, so either these folks have made uh, big mistakes or this is wrong uh, because it, it doesn't seem like we're gonna peak this year based on what I'm seeing other companies planning for the next few years.
0: Okay, so you and this person could both be right. So let's think about it like this. Josh may be looking to increase drilling in the Permian for the next five years. But that doesn't mean that his increase would be enough to keep the Permian production from peaking. Right? So if there was four you know, two hundred companies and you're one of two hundred and you increase by thirty percent but everyone else drops by sixty percent, then production would've peaked, despite what your best efforts. Sure. So gotta keep that in mind. Another thing is that but but with that being said, it also doesn't mean he doesn't tell us why he thinks it's peaking, and that's important. Why is it peaking? So, if you just take that analogy and say that, um, go back to you know, Josh says that, um, well, I'm actually going to decrease my production by thirty percent next year. Okay, well, that, well, why are you decreasing? That those are the we talk about the ducks. We talk all this stuff. The 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 motivation behind things, what's going on? Those are the things that people just don't, and they don't say them because they don't know them. And if when you start saying that, you go, well, I don't know, and then people realize you don't know a lot. Like right now, I have no idea, and so you go, Well, Ryan's an idiot. Well, I, if you you know, I could have told you that I'm going to be in a speedo here in a week and a half, allegedly. Um, but. You know, but, but you see my point. It's like, okay, well, listen, Mr. Waterus, maybe you're right, maybe you're not right. But why do you think it's going to slow down? Is it going to slow down because we're we've drilled all the oil? Well, no. If you think that, then you're not you aren't very smart because we know that's not true. Is it going to slow down because we've drilled the most accessible oil, and the rest of the oil there is hard to get to, and it's not cost effective? Okay, well, maybe. Is it going to be because prices are low? What if prices go up to two hundred dollars a barrel? Was he going to say that then? So. These are all nice and catchy quotes, and when you get quoted, I understand that you have to kind of summarize things. It makes it very tough. But is this just isn't helpful to me because well, why do you think this is the case? It's the why that that means everything, and without the why, you don't really know what the what kind of substance is there. So, if you go to what Anas was on last week, he talked about crude quality. So part of narcissist thing is is that he says, um, well, we don't have the right crude. To continue to putting on the market the refineries around the world can't take it okay so you say well there's so much refinery capacity for our type of crude and we're producing that much crude and therefore you can't if you produce any more has nowhere to go it's kind of a simplified argument right he and I'm not saying I not said this I'm just working that kind of out so he could say well production is going to decline or, or level off because there's nowhere else to send it now that doesn't mean he's right or wrong but that's that would be a why right you're producing this type of grade. There's only so much refining capacity. There's only so much storage capacity. Therefore, you cannot. If you produce any more, you would have nowhere else to put it. You go okay. Well, but I don't. Maybe I agree. Maybe I don't agree. But that would make sense. But just to say it's going to plateau off for no real reason that doesn't do anything. And I would, I would say, well, okay. Well, what if, uh, what if the you know the Middle East breaks out in a massive world war and uh, prices go to an order barrel? Would, would we see the peak then? Because and what Anas is saying, you would see a production increase, but it would still be constrained because of the refining capacity, right? Because he's saying – that there's, there's, he essentially so he's saying – and, again, this is not a Anas argument. I'm kind of working through it. But essentially there's only so much you can refine. So no matter how much the price goes up, at some point there's a problem because you cannot refine more until the refiners are changed. So do, do you see the kind of the, the difference between the two and, and why it's – for me, I, I mean, these are – it's it's interesting, but it's like it's, I don't understand. I don't understand what to do with this information. What what do I do now? I've I read your point. Now what? Yeah, so
1: I I I see what you're saying, and I, I agree. I think uh, that the he's not given that that full of a view. I think the the, the, the his only I guess thing that he shows as a cause uh, of it being broken is that there was an over investment into the industry without holding those companies accountable. So now they're being forced to live within cash flow like we've all heard and and that's why he says the M&A market is gone it's not coming back and that they're going to have to learn how to how to operate in this free cash flow model and that that's going to cause a permanent slowdown so that the company's never going to get there just because there's not going to be enough money coming in in order to create that free cash flow
0: but well this is right so this is this is for the article he says, the capital gains bottle is broken. The M&A market is gone, not coming back, like you said. This is the next paragraph. This is not him. This is from the author. The, the kind of in- industry rationalized water, uh, rationalization waterist describes may work to his advantage. His Calgary-based private equity fund, which he founded in 2017, controls two Canadian oil producers, one of them um, Kona Resources, agreed to buy Penn Growth Energy in November uh, of 2020. Let's keep on going here. Da, 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 um, as the company buckled under huge debt load. Waterus Energy is looking for more assets in Canada and the U.S. So that's another thing is motivation. I'm not listen. I don't know. Maybe this guy really believes it. Maybe he doesn't. I have no idea. Me and Josh have biases and motivations, so, so <laughs> that all those things had to be considered. So could it be right, could it be wrong. I don't know. But um, it, you know, it 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 seems to me that it's he doesn't give you enough information, and um, it would it would benefit him to pick up a. A company laid on the trash heap for bear, and I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him at
1: all. So, yeah, it'd be uh, like what's his name? Uh, The the guy that trashed the company, the stocks drop, and then buys it. Uh, He didn't actually do it. We just accused him of of it. Uh, what
0: was his name? Icon. Yeah, yeah. Icon. Oh well, he well he'd already bought it and then trashed it and then we said we well, maybe gonna buy some more. I think's what yeah. it was. Yeah, he did. He did go for them board sheets. So yeah, we, did, did. we did. We did. We did call that. that. We did call yeah. that. We did call that on some level. Don't quote us.
1: All right, so uh, we've got a few stories here uh, for the roundup before we get to our guest. Water!
0: Uh, Speaking of water, we got a water guest on today. We do
1: have a water guest. Dan, well, yeah. What
0: were you thinking? We should have mentioned that
1: earlier. Go ahead. So uh, Gulf Coast oil and gas expansion will generate half a billion annual tons of emissions in U.S. Uh, so this is something that is going to be happening, I think, regularly. Stories coming out about emissions, and it's going to be putting a squeeze on many of these companies. So Uh, There are, let's see, there's some refineries. I forget how many. How many refineries were there they were planning to build in Texas? I don't see it. I'm going to put it in the show notes uh, if you want to go check it out, that several refineries are going to be coming into the state, and um, lots of headlines are going to begin to circulate around that from the environmental
0: standpoint. Well, hold on. We should note here. Is this considering projects that are actually going to be built or projects that are going through the permitting process? Because those are nowhere near the same thing. So I don't know. I'm looking through it now. Um, Earlier this month, researchers from the Environmental Integrity Project compiled to complete a similar assessment estimating that emissions from 157 planned oil and gas plants in the, in, in the world result 227 million additional tons of greenhouse gases um i had to read this a little bit closer but if it's if it's if it's projected projects you'd have to see where they're projected at so you know uh because a lot of those projects don't go through maybe maybe all these are going to come online but I would, I would oh no 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 way
1: yeah i think it's on the coast of texas louisiana so um one one of the things is as as we're doing this we need these refineries like there's a there's a need to increase refineries uh so that we can actually begin to process uh the 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 oil locally um so we need this so this is actually a good a good thing to do but the headlines are always going to be um on the you know the climate the climate guys so uh, next one for the roundup, California sues Trump administration over drilling plan. Again, along the same lines, this uh, article came from Heart Energy. California, on January 17th, sued Trump administration over its plan to open up more than a million acres of public lands in the Golden State to oil and gas drilling. Uh, and this is going to be a, uh, the, the BLM. Um, they basically approved it, and now there's uh, lawsuits coming out uh, from the state, and so we'll I'm interested to see how that goes. I don't know how successful you can be trying to sue the BLM, but um,
0: the private property owners, I don't think, are very successful. But maybe the maybe
1: empty Californias
0: are. Maybe Californias are. I don't know, and I don't know to be fact. I've just heard some cases, and it seems like the BLM has gotten the benefit of the doubt sometimes.
1: Good friend Sergio, uh, drilling down, Parsley Energy doubles down on Permian Basin, um, so. Parsley recently acquired Jagged Peak Energy, which is a Denver-based company, for 2.3 billion. Uh, they have filed 12 drilling permits with the Railroad Commission, so they are getting the year started off, started off right. Eight horizontal wells.
0: So, um, company to keep an eye on. He does have a he does have a Barnett update before we get to our guest. We should bring Uh-oh. this up. Houston-based Brazos River Exploration is looking for crude oil in the natural gas-rich Barnett Shell. The company plans to drill a horizontal well on its Buffalo Bayou lease in Stevens County. The well targets the Swinson Field of the Caddo Formation down a total depth of... He wouldn't even give us 4,000 feet. 3,999 feet. Why can't you just say basically 4,000 feet, Sergio? Why you gotta cut us a foot off? He's always sticking it to us. No matter what happens, we got folks up here trying to make a buck, and Sergio is just no matter what we do, no matter what we do. So, um, yeah, you know, privilege, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how dare you! How dare you, Sergio? I just I don't understand what the Barnett ever did to him. It's probably because the weather's better than it is in Houston, yeah. probably insulted his mother That's once. Definitely,
1: definitely. It's, All right, last article, uh, U.S. grants Chevron another three months for Venezuela operations. Uh, So read through the article, nothing too big here, but I like to keep an eye on Venezuela because they have so much oil reserves, and just curious how that is going to play out over the next, say, five years. Uh, Venezuela hasn't really been um, what it could be for the last year and a half, two years, so um, I, I looked at this, and there were several companies. I think four companies that have been approved to stay in Venezuela. Uh, Mike Pompeo
0: has been uh, kind of working for this. How nice of the Feds to allow someone to make a dollar. How nice of them. That was really, really good. Good guys there. You got to admire the uh, the government letting you go work. Appreciate that, fellas.
1: Yeah. So anyway, something to keep an eye on. This could have impacts on oil prices and, uh, and just the Texas. Texas State of Things in general. So we'll put that in the show notes. Today we have a friend coming on, Jesse Nation. He's an associate attorney for Branscombe Law. Jesse, uh, I've been looking forward to get into some of these uh, these water issues with you today, man. Glad to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you. Thank, me. thank you for having me. I really like listening to the podcast. I think as an associate attorney, it makes me better um, at responding to my client's needs, just being able to listen when I can't.
0: Do we get to bill him for that? I mean, he's basically billing his clients for our expertise. I feel like we should bill him for consulting or something. Yeah, or... or uh, Talk to me after
1: the show, Jesse. We'll get you hooked up with a podcast
0: sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, well, let's get into it. I saw a paper that you published for the Washburn Law Journal online. We'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, talking about groundwater hydrocarbons this that the other you got a lot of numbers and letters and digits and things that are probably important to legal stuff but for someone like me i have no idea what it means so break down what this paper is what the topic at hand and why um you decided to pin it write it publish it get it out there for everyone to read
2: So I was offering a legal framework for Texas judges to use when they're incorporating oil and gas law into Texas groundwater law. And that's a lot, like that's all legalese, right? I just wanna break that down. And the best way to break that down is to understand the context that I was writing about. Let's start with the numbers. 60% of the water that's used in Texas is groundwater. 80% of that 60 is used for ag, and 15% of that groundwater is used for municipalities. And right now, we're seeing a trend in Texas where oil and gas doctrines are being incorporated into Texas groundwater. And what that means is, is like when we talk about relationships amongst various parties that own oil and gas rights, those same relationships are becoming apparent in groundwater law. So people who own groundwater rights, the way that they essentially relate to each other legally is the exact same way under oil and gas law people relate to each other. Okay. And the reason
0: hey, that, let me let me let me real quick before you going further. Let's go ahead and break down exactly what the legal definition of groundwater is cuz we talked about we talked about water a lot on the show, but we don't use the term groundwater. So for folks are going, "Okay, does this, this include produced water? Is this water in the water table? Uh, is this rain when it goes soaks to your property?" Break break that down real quick so that folks have a good framework of what all types of water you're
2: encompassing here. See, that's a really good question. And I don't want to do the lawyer dodgy. Oh, well, answer, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. See, see, <laughs> the, I, so groundwater essentially is if it's under like this is the best way of explaining it. If it's underneath the ground, it's probably groundwater. And if it's sitting on the surface, it's surface water. There is an exception to that based off the way the law is written, where if it's where if it's like a river that's underground, then it's really surface water. But to my extent, that doesn't exist in texas So feel pretty good if it's underground it's groundwater if it's you can see it on the surface it's surface water and that distinction matters because if it's surface water the state owns it and a completely different regulatory framework applies okay i really should probably or i think groundwater is what you know is was mostly what i wrote about because it's owned by private landowners you to get a permit from the state because it's not owned by the state, and this is why we see people with their water. Like, if you see, I guess, I guess the best test is, is if you see a water well, we're, we're dealing with
0: groundwater. Okay, so then the second thing to that would be is um, when you go buy, let's say you have a thousand acre ranch, you go buy a ranch, typically the mineral rights for that property were sold off back in 1927 to someone else, and you're never getting those back. But when you buy the surface, the to for your cattle whatnot you should then get the groundwater rights as well at the transfer title is that correct
2: see that's a really interesting question because i think historically like let's say this this conveyance happened in the 80s or 70s it didn't say anything about water we assume that you get the grantor intends to grant the biggest possible estate possible so if the deed doesn't say anything about water the water goes But what we know in Texas is you can have a deed just like like a deed with oil and gas where you reserve the groundwater rights out, right? So if your deed doesn't reserve the groundwater rights out, you have the groundwater rights. Um, but one thing that is interesting about this is so, you know, we as lawyers all got together. I mean, it was before I was practicing, but we are like, wow, you know, you can reserve your groundwater rights. Let's start having all these deeds where we reserve like a 16th or a 32nd. Mm-hmm. You know? But the problem is, is practically title insurance companies, when they see deeds like that, they're like, whoa, you know, we don't want to get behind that. Right. So we're seeing a lagging behind the law. Actually, I feel like the law is ahead of where we're actually seeing business and real estate transactions here. Watch someone in the comments say I'm really wrong about this. <laughs> well, let, let, me, let, I-
0: let me rephrase it. Historically speaking, I guess what I was saying is, is that when you bought surface, you got water. You the minerals for oil and gas or whatever was was, you know, rarely passed on because of how those happen. But historically speaking, if you bought surface, you were you, you assumed that you had the access to drill a well on your property and have the water rights.
2: Well, here, can I take a step back on that? So it's the same assumptions, like the exact same assumptions. If you're a grantor, right, you have land. Let's say I own all of an estate. I own all of it, 100% from heaven to hell. I grant my rights to Ryan, and I don't think anything about oil, gas, or water. You own everything. but Everything that you I, owned. Yeah, everything that I own goes to you. Exactly. Right. Um, but in that deed, I can carve out certain things. That's right. And give, I can carve out the oil, I can carve out the gas, I can carve out the water. And some people are even saying I can carve out the solar, I can carve out the wind now. That's a little bit more. And
0: and, and what I'm getting at, just to kind of, Uh, to slice it down and say is when you wrote that deed historically you would write it you would transfer everything to me but in Texas the odds are is you just didn't have the rights to the minerals to sell me because those were probably traded off or sold off a long time ago So, so you were conveying everything it didn't include the minerals because you just didn't have rights to those. And so I would have gotten the water because you wouldn't have distinguished that. And so the water was, as, as we think about it, is a traditional part of a transaction. Except for now, with the all of us going on, people are looking at it differently. Would that be a good quick su- thirty 30-second mission? Yeah. Okay. Yes.
2: And I apologize about talking over you. But no, no, no. You're fine. You okay. Okay. Um, what my professor always said is when you talk about property rights, you should think of them as a bundle of sticks. Mm-hmm. And one stick is oil and gas. And people back in the 1920s knew, wow, that stick's worth a lot of money. Right. Let's take it back. Right? And just good. like you're saying is now people are like, wow, this groundwater stuff's really important. I live in the Permian Basin. This stuff costs a ton of money. Right. Right. Um, so now people are being more attuned to reserving the groundwater rights. But once again, like I said, there's, the title insurance problem
0: right and your thesis says we quote from the paper here the summary texas hydrocarbon law and groundwater law are similar but should not be the same uh, and then you, you obviously have a little bit more there but that, that's the thesis uh, that you're that you're working off of and uh, give us kind of the short reason for why you think you've kind of explained some of the difficulties we're seeing but as a lawyer why are you arguing that they should not be treated the same
2: so it has to do with the idea that an oil and gas law, so let's start with oil and gas law because it's it's basically the foundation of what groundwater sh- could be. Mm-hmm. So in oil and gas law, the rule of capture applies. You as someone who owns oil and gas rights are entitled to take a, take as much gas and oil out of the ground as you can reduce your possession, subject to some common law restrictions. Mm -hmm. Because the idea there is you don't own the oil and gas underneath your property until you reduce it to possession. I'm saying that that same rule should not be applied unchecked, unaltered into Texas groundwater law. That being said, if you start playing with these common law rules too much, if I start trying to limit how much water you can take out of the ground, then we're going to run into a takings issue and that's something that you know because at the end of the day groundwater rights you know no matter what people want to say they are rights there are property rights there's something that are, it's something that um, you own right this can't be stripped this can't be stripped from you without just compensation and any regulation that exists has to inhere in the common law and what i'm saying in this paper is that when judges look at the common law, common law oil and gas doctrines, they should think about they should think about ways to incorporate these oil and gas doctrines into groundwater law pragmatically, understanding the distinctions between groundwater and oil and gas.
0: So, one of the things you said in the paper that I found interesting is that you said that, um, and this could come push back on you here if nothing else and you said that, that, that essentially I, I can't find the quote right here but it, you you made it made the point that um oil and gas if you have oil and gas minerals you kind of think of that as a commodity commodity that's got to be brought to the surface and traded people don't think of water is that way but that's that's not exactly entirely true people could think of water you could have someone who lives in oh um you know uh you uh, uh, France who owns a thousand acre Permian Basin ranch and goes, you know, I don't care anything about the water, it's a commodity to me. So I know she put that in there and I found it was an interesting point because that's um some people do think of it as a commodity.
2: No, you are exactly right about that. Like some people when they see their water rights, they think, "Wow, you know, this is just a way for me to double dip my oil and gas horse. You know, not only am I going to get money on my oil and gas they're pumping out of the ground, I'm going to get a money for every gallon of gas they pump out of my ground that they then turn around and frack into my wells to get money. You are exactly right about that. But the thing is is I think the term that you see when people talk about groundwater laws, they say groundwater isn't just another resource. It's not just another commodity. There are other other things that make groundwater extremely valuable besides it just being a commodity, i.e. the fact that it's used for drinking, that it's used for recreation, that it's used for agriculture, and it's used to sustain certain ways of life in the area. New Mexico has actually dealt with these problems and what they've seen is when you have a lot of absentee landowners who'll just sell their water rights, you're seeing communities change. And what's happening is, is when water is not being used in the local community, there is definitely a correlation to loss of revenue and loss of jobs and loss of taxes. Whether or not you care about loss of taxes, I don't know how that plays yeah, I don't
0: care spot. about loss of taxes. So <laughs> so I don't have an opinion on this. I'm just more just kind of asking you uh, yeah. questions just to kind of hear your explanation. So I, I would say to that is that oil and gas obviously goes to, you know, if you go to, if you, if you took the water analogy, um, obviously water has more importance because you water is necessary to live where oil and gas is not. However, any developing nation is dependent on oil and gas and so their economy their ability to grow to sustain um, their ability to you know uh, keep newborns alive because they can build hospitals and get access to medical care is dependent on oil and gas so um, it obviously i would think water has a a more um, higher place in society because it does it is kind of the first thing that you need but oil and gas does have those same functionalities as well so why would you distinguish them
2: because the things that you just said i feel like prove prove i mean prove what i'm saying is when you said well oil and gas is good for third world countries i live in corpus christi we want the oil and gas out of the ground so it's good for third world countries I and mean, we want to export that stuff whereas groundwater it's good if we not only like if we keep it within the same water table if we use it in the same local area so after we use it and get our crops it goes down and it helps recharge the aquifers that's the distinction
0: okay So what do you think, um, let me me ask you this way, and I know that you're talking about kind of legal stuff, but let me just kind of make a a silly question here. Do you think we should look at the groundwater law in the Permian and kind of say if we had a a very defined, just for lack of a, I know we don't, but we had a a Permian boundary. This is the Texas Permian boundary, and we knew this was the hard lines. Should we handle water law in those counties differently uh, than you should where there is no oil and gas production going on?
2: We do actually um, in the status quo. But, but so, I'm saying,
0: from your from your perspective, do you think that's the right way to handle it?
2: Yes, um, I think. So I guess what I'm saying is is I think that the way that the, the a regulatory framework exists, I think the regulatory framework in Texas makes a lot of sense. If you were going to talk to your average like your average water attorney in Colorado, Kansas, California they would say that what we do here in Texas, with groundwater law is like the silliest thing they've ever heard of. I know that because I went to a Kansas law school and was taught by a guy out of Colorado, <laughs> right? They think what we do down here is just absolutely backwards. I wrote this comment, not necessarily answering to those people, but what I'm saying is not only is Texas groundwater law, like, you know, it's kind of at a challenging point right now, but it can actually turn to oil and gas law for solutions, right? Because In like when we talk about oil and gas, you can't just go and pump every single piece of oil or gas out of the bottom of your property. You know, there's allowables set by the Railroad Commission, right? I'm saying you need to find what those allowables need to be in your local groundwater conservation districts because for groundwater law, you have these things called local... You have these things that are local government agencies that work just like the Railroad Commission, right? And we need to do the same thing here in Texas with allowing that groundwater to come out of the ground. That being said, if those local groundwater conservation districts go too far, right, there will be lawsuits, and this is why I wrote this comment, because we can't let people have as much water out of the ground as they possibly can, and switching our law to go do things the way people in Colorado or Kansas are doing it is just not an option. We need to figure out how to exist in our regulatory framework because I think we can all agree, Texas Supreme Court has told us that oil and gas is the muscle of the state of Texas and groundwater is the blood, the lifeblood of this state. And we need to put these things together to figure out how to make it work for us, to figure out how to make it work for business. And the best way to do that is when judges are confronted with these issues, they need to pragmatically think about the difference between groundwater law and oil and gas. I mean, they need to think about the differences between oil and gas as a resource and water as a resource and use that thinking to decide when they have lawsuits in front of them, what differences, if any, should exist between groundwater law and oil and gas law.
0: That's interesting. Um, I guess the, the final thing is, you're, is you make a mention in your paper about um, – there's a few cases that have been – we have to get to the cases particularly, but there's a handful of cases about grand, groundwater law in state Texas. You just mentioned suits coming up. Um, just from a legal perspective, not necessarily pertaining to uh, groundwater issues, kind of walk our, our listeners through what would happen here if we started to see these lawsuits come up. How many cases before you kind of determine would it have to go to the Texas Supreme Court? Could it go all the way to the Federal Supreme Court? Uh, you know, that's how like there's a lot of legal framework to operate off of here. So, because there's not a lot, do you need a lot of cases to actually figure out what's going to happen, or could one case just kind of be the one that sets the precedent um, in the next couple of years?
2: It's definitely going to be it's definitely going to be a case by case approach, just as we've seen, like as we've seen in the status quo. And it's going to be when we're talking about when we're talking about what the law looks like with groundwater, it's going to be the Texas Supreme Court because that's all state law. When we're talking about the takings issue, that's probably going to be a Texas Supreme Court case making the final call. But the federal Supreme Court will have review of it because the Constitution, the federal Constitution gives you protections. If anything, they set a floor and then the state can have a ceiling on top of that. Right. And I, I, I honestly feel like any takings issue will be resolved by the Supreme Court. There's a real famous case that every lawyer likes to point to the day, Texas Supreme Court case. Every, well, every lawyer out of state likes to point to this case and say, we in Texas do everything silly because we have we do. Uh, we have our underground groundwater law look like oil and gas law. Look at this day case. They have things backwards in Texas. And I guess what I would submit to them is let's think about the difference between New Mexico and Texas from a practical perspective. And the reason I bring up New Mexico is that Permian Basin relationship, right? You know the reservoirs—they don't, contrary to what expert witnesses would have you believe. <laughs> oil and gas reservoirs—they don't care about tracks. They don't care about states. You know they, you know, God created this. You know it doesn't care about um, doesn't care about meets and bounds descriptions. And in New Mexico, if you want to have the right to be able to get water out of the ground, you have to apply for a permit from the state or you have to, you have to, you have to deal with the state, with some political agency. And I think we've talked in this, po- or at least I didn't. I think I've heard you on this podcast or I've heard through other channels how there is kind of a political risk growing in New Mexico now with, you know, they're talking about the new person running for, is it their commission, their department of environment? There was that law that came up where people wanted to put a ban on fracking for two years to see what it would do. You have to operate with that political environment to get a permit in New Mexico for groundwater use. Granted, there is a, there are some exceptions and carve-outs for oil and gas production, but that is the regulatory framework you're dealing with in New Mexico or as you come across the border to the greatest state in the union, right? Guess what? you want on the groundwater, right? You're dealing with a local agency, right? Who, honestly, there's huge carve-outs for oil and gas producers. And you're dealing mostly with your private landowner who just happens to own water rights. And this landowner, what I've came to see, sometimes is the person that actually owns the parcel of the mineral interest. So not only is this landowner getting money, Right. Off the oil and gas royalty, they're getting backdoor money off using the water on the land. So it's a win win solution without having to incur the political risk that you'd have to do to get a permit in other states like New Mexico or Kansas or Colorado.
0: Okay, let me ask you this. We are up against the clock. So entertainment purposes only. This is not legal advice. He's. Not really, even a lawyer. He's just an actor. Um, so, <laughs> um, let's take three categories here, and just you know, just for entertainment purposes only. If you're an operator, if you're someone in the water business, so you're a vendor like Josh and I are, but you're in the water business and you're a landowner, give us this two to three things to look for, two to three things to do, two to three things to kind of maybe protect ourselves, or you know, uh, however you want to phrase that. This just, just again, entertainment purposes only, not legal advice.
2: So, if you're a landowner, the first thing that I would do is I would want to see. Well, I mean, granted, I've never met a landowner who doesn't know what rights that they own, and they <laughs> sure. sure seem to be very they seem to be very sophisticated individuals. I would say in your oil and gas lease, give yourself a royalty. Say what you want for them to use the water on your land. If you're um, if you're an operator and you're worried about who owns what, i.e. the produced water statute that just came into effect in 2019. I would say you really have to monitor the courts. You really have to see who owns what. You're going to have to run title. You're going to have to run title work to verify that you can use the water that you're using. So you're going to have to monitor the court uh, to see what the courts are doing. And if you're a lawyer, I would say right now, I think times are probably getting ready to be good because unfortunately, there's a lot of ambiguity around groundwater and what it means because we're not sure how exactly it's going to be like oil and gas law and you know there's also environmental concerns going on that i think are going to really employ people for a long time
0: you know she said unfortunately there's a lot of legal problems coming up unfortunately the lawyer unfortunately <laughs> the people who create the problems are sad there's a lot of well, legal problems
2: i guess, I guess uh, the thing <laughs> that i'd like to say about unfortunately is one thing that i've seen is yeah you know lawyers do benefit from a lot of these disputes but you know you need to ask yourself who benefits from having to pay all these massive legal bills, because at the, the end of the day...
0: lawyers. That's it. Well, yeah, the lawyers do.
2: <laughs> at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, you know, if you have a business, you have an E&P company, you're doing really good revenue, but then all of a sudden you have a legal bill for a ton of money for something that you didn't see coming because the Texas Supreme Court wasn't clear. That's just not fair. That, and like, that's just not fair that you just get hit with that. One of my professors, like I'm a transactional attorney. I try and keep you out of the courthouse. But one of my professors in law school would always tell me, Yeah, you know, if you if you don't want to make it clear in the contract or put it in the contract, you're gonna pay a million dollars for the Supreme Court to give you an answer.
0: Well, final question for you. If um, if you're an E P company right now and you're hearing this, you go, eh. Okay, obviously go talk to your own attorneys to kind of get what they, they say, but would it be advisable, something for them to consider, to start going to where they are drilling and trying to negotiate um, um, with the landowners on a case-by-case basis to get this cleared up before it does go to uh, you know the Supreme Court or wherever it goes?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, you want to put it in your oil and gas lease. And I'm not sure how much extra of a burden it would be. Oh, I feel like it could be a substantial burden or it might not be to have your landmen or your title opinions run title for the water as well. I mean, I think we're going to come to that point, to be honest with you.
0: So that was that was free advice right there. That was advice. It was legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, so I can give legal advice without getting in trouble. So that was free legal advice from me. I saved you a Supreme Court trip. This check in the mail, right, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what else do you want from? Just need a a percentage, um, you know. No, I don't. I don't want a big. I mean, I don't want percentages. I just saved them all the problems. So uh, a million a million dollars per <laughs> landowner, a million yeah. dollars per yeah. landowner. Yeah, that works. That works. That works. And we'll put all and we'll put all the all the lawyers out of business. So we'll be happy. So really, I'm not even charging you for that. So. What else do you want from me, people? Here it is. So, Jesse, thank you for coming on. Um, we appreciate it. And anything, where can people find you if they want to know more about you, your law firm, uh, or anything else?
2: I, uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so just I would just say add me on LinkedIn. If you have any, if you have a water issue or an oil and gas issue, you could call me or email me or, like I said, contact me on LinkedIn.
0: And in the meantime, please do not make this. Water issue more complicated because that's what you attorneys do. But it was nice to have you on, and we do like attorneys at least when they come on the podcast. So thank you, sir, for coming on. And we really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. All
1: uh, right Big thanks to Jesse Nation for joining us on the show today. Really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed some of that information. Lots, of, lots of things to consider with groundwater, and um, you know, Ryan. One of the questions that I had that I have is how the state's going to adjudicate the issue of what comes out of the ground so the uh they're not really when they when they measure some of these things you know, barrels and, and what's being produced i don't know that we're as efficient and as specific as we can be so i think there's uh lots of room for improvement and i uh, look forward to seeing how the industry responds to some of this over the next couple of years
0: yeah and we probably need to get a, a water reservoir expert on to kind of talk about some of this but you know it's not you're not going there and having to frack um, for all water issues. You're going there to, 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 to frack the rock to get the water out, and so uh, the water you know pumping is a lot easier. So I, I got to thinking. I wonder theoretically, and uh, again, need a water expert to come on to kind of verify this. But if you had access to the water table, well, you could probably just continually pump that thing um, and, and drain it. So it does become a more of a community issue. Whereas you think about fracking, obviously it's not it's not a one to one, but it is a little bit different. A lot more work, a lot more cost intensive. Um, but I guess an individual landowner could do more "quote unquote" damage, if you want to use that term, to the community um, accessing the water table um, than they would. It would really, you know, someone could go and try to frack a well. They don't have the talent, the money, or anything to do that. So it is different. The other thing is, we talk about Josh. We talk about local issues. It feels like the Supreme Court eventually will rule on this. I wonder if they will rule in a manner that allows for it to be handled differently, because it sounds easy right now to say, "Well, this is how it should be handled here or there." Um, and then you kind of have a policy, but you know, if you're over in Marshall, Texas, versus you know, uh, you know, uh, Big Springs, it's just I'm sure the issues and how you want to resolve them are just fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. so, if the Supreme Court justices would like advice, I mean, we we do that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we'll go ahead and get that knocked out for them.
1: Well, they can take a 10 percent stake in the in the podcast for you know 10 15 million, and, and we'll. Give them a perpetual. Why are you, getting,
0: why are you, why are you undervaluing it like that? You're going to charge them dudes more. Um, and, and yes, EMP operators, please send all those checks to, to your boy directly. Josh, we will be getting wet a week from Friday. So if you're going to come, need to hit us up. Uh, if not, we will be getting cold, freezing cold without you. Uh, we will be back next week. And until then, keep climbing.